You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that is shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Nice to see you, Joe. <laughs> it's nice to see you too, buddy. It's been a while. It has. Well, I mean, I think the, do you want to share your big news or where yeah. do you want to Yeah. yeah. Got a, we had a new baby. A new baby. A pearl <laughs> came into the world. And she is a beautiful pearl. Yeah, thank you. So, excuse her absence. Um, we took two weeks sabbatical. Shocking. Words. No, I don't know if that is, is the word. It's not religious. Religious. Yeah, it is. I'm not sure. I think you just, you took some paternity leave, Thanks, I believe. Joe. Yes, yeah. you took some time to be there with your beautiful yeah. newborn daughter. It's awesome that time to take. Like, I don't think I've stepped back for, for long at all, ever, for a no. long time. So... It was really nice to just actually sit back and float in this honeymoon of parenthood um, 2.0 and really feel into that. It was beautiful. Um, really good way to do it, I think, because your world changes um, in a beautiful way, but changes. And then to just sit into that and feel that as a family, as a little nucleus, and then go out and start being little um, arms of that or whatever you want to imagine into that and feel and then come back and, and feel that sort of groundwork you all put in there is really um, a healthy thing to be able to do. I feel I'm very lucky that we could do that and fortunate for all the people we work with and work for that everyone um, gave us that breathing space and you came over and helped us get some work done just as Pearl was born because you never know if birth like when that little no. person's going to come out and there's a few things that need to get across the line um and joe came over and helped get a few things across the line which was unreal i think that really gave me the breathing space so thanks mate oh pleasure absolute pleasure and yeah like i think it's when you when you go through something like that i think you know you're the way that you describe that is is beautiful because it is about that something new has come in um, into your life and then i think there's two choices you either go with that and kind of go this is new and this is the space that it actually creates and now i've got to add the old things back back into it and i think kind of having mental clarity and and an ability to to just sit with that and then see what fits into this new paradigm out of out of the old is a i think it's a that's more of a growing space than being um trying to take everything that is old and try to kind of retrofit the new the new into it yeah, I think it was. We hit a point yesterday just with our schedules, trying to fit our old schedules. Cassandra runs a business as well, and just understanding where we all sit, and yeah, we're just breaking some of those parameters we set around and um, restructuring up because it's definitely growing with the family. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think it took a while to get to that point. You try and put a circle in a square little box. Um, like one of the kids has one of those toys where you try to fit the shapes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it felt like <laughs> I was never that good at those. Why doesn't this cross go into this triangle? <laughs> See it. So still trying to figure out the shape of it, but I'm uh, more open to the fact that it doesn't fit in that triangle. Um, so that's a nice thing. Oh, um, good man. Yeah. Good man. Yeah. And yeah, baby's happy. And yeah, we had a beautiful birth. Like, well, I did. No, so <laughs> Sandrine, uh, we had a home birth and Sandrine did like amazing. It was really beautiful and powerful to be a part of and be support there. And the midwives that were here were amazing. It was really cool to understand what work is like. I think from my perspective, work is very like labor intensive. From my mind, work's like sweat on the brow or like just pushing yourself. That's where I come from. And then seeing the midwives there work 
for them in the best sense. They've got all the knowledge. They've got all the experience. But work for them is setting a comfy um, supporting environment mm. for a baby to come in and to allow mum to do the work confidently. So it's all the pre-work. It's all the mm. chatter. It's all the setting, making sure Sunni, everyone feels comfortable um, and yep. it was hilarious to listen to some of their conversations after because what was it? Um, my mum was over to look after Sunni. She was one of the birthing supports and mum <laughs> was asking if anyone wants some food because birth was like in the afternoon and then whether anyone wants some uh, dinner and then the midwives were being very polite saying, no, no, I'm all right. And then mum's like, oh, they've worked very hard. And then Sunni goes, no, they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been on the couch all day <laughs> and the midwives just chuckled they're just yeah. like yeah we haven't like we've just been yeah sitting here because they came early and you know just gave Sandra in that confidence knowing that they're there yeah. um and yeah the best birth I think is for that to happen and that's yeah. when they feel like they've done their job to the best of their ability so it was really cool to reflect on that and I was like wow hard work is can look very different look very very different for sure yeah Yeah. and there's i guess there's you know i've always thought about work as as jeopardy and what i mean by that is that there's there's an effort that's implied but there's not a certain outcome right so and in any endeavor whether that's professionally you're doing something and you're trying to work towards something the outcome is not defined even if you work in a factory it's not always going to go exactly exactly the plan or if you're kind of out in the garden digging you never know what it, where that's actually going to going to lead you but i think it's exactly the same right in terms of the just their ability to sit calmly with the jeopardy of of the situation and kind of understand that kind of calmness and kind of control and kind of emotion they trying to get to emotional certainty in terms of a certain kind of energy that's that's in the room but then also knowing that that can go sideways in in a hurry i think is you know what um the kind of energy that a midwife has versus like what the the kind of the medical way of kind of dealing with that which is much more kind of procedural and is absolutely kind of certainty based it's got a time window if that doesn't happen well we're going to intervene i think versus kind of a midwife style of approach certainly is you know they will intervene if they need to but it's actually about being in the background um kind of ensuring as she said that the the emotional certainty Mm. happens there's a calmness yeah, it was really cool to see, and it was really nice to see how comfortable they were in that, and weren't trying to say, "No, we worked really hard." Or something. <laughs> yeah, like, ah, oh, we're chilled. Yeah, we're chilled. It was really nice. Yeah. Um, so very stoked with how that happened and how everyone felt. Um, so feel real grateful. Um, Good yeah, man. Super grateful. Nice. So here well, we are. We're back in the studio, and a lot's yeah. happened though because we went. Introvert, yeah. how have you been? Um, the Victoria, our world, yes. <laughs> our media world has yeah. opened up. So it for has. people listening in, Victoria has been in lockdown, Melbourne in particular, for record amount of months. Yeah, days. well, it's the world, world's longest lockdown was mm. uh, was Melbourne. So not, not Victoria, but actually kind of um, Melbourne, which the Morningstone Peninsula falls into um, through just uh, lack of classification, I, I guess. Um, we got we got put into that, but we're now we're now free. Um, and I certainly think it's, you know, like uh, this, there's a new energy, isn't there? So it's kind of this, this kind of um, almost unbridled um, energy. I'm going to be kind of curious to see where this leads over, over the next few weeks, but certainly people i think are up and about there's uh there's no way else to kind of say it as we kind of reset so it feels like um 
spring break or <laughs> like certainly <laughs> that's invited. oh because we had a long weekend as well yeah. so we're recording this kind of after the tale of um you know uh, again for those listening from outside of uh well outside of victoria we we have a net we have a public holiday for a horse race which it's a race that stops the nation it just stops the nation but does it <laughs> no not a, no not a chance but i mean i think obviously we ha- we have a holiday for a horse race and but certainly this this time around i think it felt like a freedom day kind of four-day weekend in it so many mm. people were off on the monday as well and it was just i think people kind of going this is over over now and i think it's you know the, it is over in terms of kind of going back to that kind of style of style of approach and people yeah the energy just shifted it really did I reckon it's very optimistic of you, that last bit, but I like it. But yeah. everyone is very much wanting it to be over and almost forcing it across the line to be over and definitely pushing it back of mind for, for this summer period. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's not over in yeah. the sense that we're still living in a pandemic, but I think the, the notion of like a kind of ongoing four-month lockdown, I think people, yeah. that, that's not going to happen again. Yeah, unless you speak to Dan. But Lev, we won't go there. <laughs> no. Let's not go there. Let's enjoy it. Yeah. But have you enjoyed yeah. some free? Yeah, well, had some I, nice time? yeah, for sure. But I mean, yeah. I, I think did it you affect know, your life that much, or is it the lockdown? I mean, obviously, the homeschooling is is yeah. um, interesting. But then, even on the backside of that, um, my youngest daughter Maya, so her school um, in her grade, she was actually a close contact of someone who had, they had a COVID exposure. So then she gets caught up in the bureaucracy of that she's got to actually isolate for fourteen days. We don't as a family. Oh, really? Yeah, no, you can do whatever you want, but she can't leave the house right she can't actually kind of she's got to isolate in place for for 14 days so i think you know there'll be there'll be things like that that are that are through it but i mean for the most part i think other than homeschooling which i think you know we dealt with well as a as a family it's it didn't really affect other than like the girls activities and stuff it didn't really impact our lives but it's it's just been great to see um like my eldest daughter get back in the pool, mm. you know, and kind of get back on with her kind of swimming training and stuff and just, you know, and kind of see her kind of, you know, get her full energy level back for, for those types of things. So that's been, that's been great to see, but yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm more happy for probably just the state of mind for, for a lot of, a lot of people. And I was having this conversation last night with a, with a work colleague, we all caught up for, for drinks, but I felt the last kind of month of this kind of lockdown is that like, I'm a super optimistic for the most part person trying to kind of engage with everyone, but it got, got heavy. It got heavy because people just didn't want to know. And I, that's kind of worries me when people stop, like they just actually stop engaging no matter what you what you kind of throw throw out there and it's just you know i was like oh this is this is shifting it wasn't just in kind of you know like uh close friends or anything it was actually just everyone was actually just starting to turn in on them on themselves it had that feel didn't it it Mm. was tired lethargic and bleak yeah Mm. over it Mm. over it yeah it was hard it was hard i think retrospect we've done it a couple of times on this podcast and thought deeply about our experience in the wardrobe yeah which has been locked down and it might take us a while to unpack it but yeah that was definitely that feel at the end of it um yeah it was huge it felt very nice for us to have fruits for the labor pretty much nearly all of lockdown we were sort of growing this Mm. baby so it felt sort of quite 
serendipitous that it happened for us. It was quite sweet. A nice uh, bookend. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so let's hope we can continue on. But we're here at Markets as Narratives. Yes. So we jumped off last episode when we had a chat, and mm. that was in the deep end of lockdown. And we kept it pretty high high spirits, I reckon. We've done well. We have. Um, we have. Yeah. Pat ourselves on the back. But we didn't get into Markets as Narratives and... That's where we're going today. We went places narrative, which yep. sort of started to draw the bow between the two. Mm. Um, but markets as narratives. Now, I had written some questions down and I'm just trying to remember. <laughs> no, that's all right. I mean, I'll, I'll start off. I think so if you start with what is a market. So yep. a market is all about an exchange of value between um, two individuals at, at some level. I mean, you can take individuals to mean, you know, one's a hedge fund and another one is a hedge fund and they're trying to do each other in, in terms of one short selling and one's long selling each other. And they're trying to see where they can manipulate something to be, but it's still an exchange and it's an, it's an exchange of value in a, in a market. And to set that value is really where narrative comes in Mm -hmm. right so much like a place so if you think you know kind of going back to the last episode place can be you know can have the same geographic features broadly the same kind of topography the same even kind of population base but there's a layer of narrative that makes that place different Mm -hmm. than the place just over the hill right there's something that's occurred there that has allowed that place to grow in its meaning markets are very similar that way is that it's kind of there is a I guess, a rational value um, to things. So, i.e. kind of, you know, a tomato is worth a certain amount or kind of the price of fuel is worth a certain amount. But then there's actually kind of there's a value that's put on top of that in terms of the companies that make the tomatoes or the type of tomato that's actually grown. The utility of of the thing, we layer story and meaning and narrative to actually help create create that value. You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that is shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Your hosts, Patrick Beggs of Per Production, a production house that works with organisations to create media that strengthens culture and communicates that culture to the world. And Joe Rogers, CEO of The Contenders, a brand agency famous for crafting brands which deliver results for those who work for them, shop for them and support them. For more information, head to baupod.co. And if you find this podcast insightful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to our conversations. And I was thinking, what are some of the major market narratives that exist now? Like for my mind that come is energy. That's a massive market narrative that's constantly changing, but it's always got that narrative that exists is... Where do we get the energy to do the things we do? That can be on a personal level, <laughs> yeah. like across, like you can yeah. use that narrative or that framework to understand mm-hmm. how we consume fuel for ourselves. And then also the engines and robotics that we use to um, sustain industry and move us forward sideways and backwards. Yep, totally. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's a big narrative, I suppose, is energy. Is any other narratives that come straight to mind? Yeah, well, I, th- I mean, certainly, like, I think, obviously, there's technology yeah. in terms of kind of, you know, a lot of that is kind of, you know, um, I think it's like what Galloway t- calls story stocks, which yeah. which I like in terms of kind of, as you know, it's this kind of this myth that this is going to change something, but is it actually really, and then really what they're selling is is newness as a as a, as a a story. To, and I mean, has value. I mean, yeah, yeah. And it, but it does have value. But I, th- 
I think, you know, when you kind of look at the world and you kind of start to think about markets, it's it, there are kind of there are rational things that that happen because they are exchanges, exchanges of value. So coming back to energy, what's going on in energy at the moment is really it's it's in a period of transition, right? Driven, you know, a lot of people will say it's about new energy forms, but it's ultimately it's about the digitization of the energy grid mm-hmm. so that the grid is becoming more it has a I it's guess an nuanced. ability to re- yeah it's more nuanced and it has ability to respond and it's it's and becoming absorb. more and more transparent yeah right and it's also becoming more two sided so this you know you can put a solar panel on your roof you can generate your own energy you can sell it back for um, never sell it back to the energy company people buy a battery um, for one but that's so that kind of transition um, yeah open is, source slash. Yeah, but it has parallels. It has parallels to um, what's actually gone on. But the story in energy is different than the one in technology. Mm. And that's why I I think is is really, really interesting is that energy as a a narrative is wrapped up in bigger things around climate. Mm. But then it's also, it's, I think the the, probably the missing narrative in energy is really around kind of how are we going to balance all of these sources of energy? Because it's really what our energy is becoming is a digital grid. And that is very different than where this has kind of actually sat um, historically. It's been more about, we use a lot of oil, we use a lot of coal, we use a lot, you know, we might use nuclear, whatever, yes, whatever yeah. they get, whatever that is. But it's, I think the narrative that, you know, is not getting spoken about enough is actually that the grid itself is actually starting to become something that is a little bit more two-sided between kind of the user can generate and kind of can actually see what they're using what they're taking in um and then what that actually means going going forward is that that's kind of the the narrative that i don't necessarily think um you know is said yet and why do you think that is do you think that is because it's an industry perspective that it is very much the new the old guard had it stitched up they had the rails and everything and then we've got this new digital grid coming through which is pretty much like open source tech to Mm. the way we consume and produce energy yep which isn't necessarily for a benefit for the old no so it's but no one owns that new digital grid so no one's taking that narrative forward but there are people in their homes in their backyards in their properties creating energy and trying to figure it out collectively it's yeah. an interesting well people do own the digital grid though this is this is the part that yeah, you okay. know I th- but it is a collectively owned it's a shareholder ownership well i i would say it's more that it's old new and, yeah, okay. and what i what i mean by that is that old energy companies are not always as exposed to where energy is directionally going yeah. um then perhaps they would they would like to be so if you if you look at tesla for example Tesla is a lot of things, right? In terms of that, it's well, it depends <laughs> depends on the day, <laughs> depends on the day. But what what it is ultimately underneath it is that it's actually a platform for this digitization of energy. So if you kind of really dig underneath the skin of Tesla, what they've actually figured out is that a digital overlay to a grid based energy system is the future, right? And so, but they they talk in this kind of this narrative that they talk to that, whereas old energy yeah. is kind of talking in a slightly different way because they won't actually necessarily participate as much in that. But this idea that kind of, you know, you are broadly, you have a battery that kind of that battery might sit in your car and it might sit in your home. It might kind of then generate off your roof. 
you might use your car as a as a house battery when you plug it back in it might be lots of different ways that you can pick up energy that the vehicle can give it back through its braking but it's all based around the mobility and the digitization of this battery and its ability to kind of um, send power and generate power when it needs to be that is very different than kind of like a petrochemical based kind of um i guess kind of mobility world where it's it's burned one way train one way train it's burned and then you go and fill yeah and so that i think is just it's a whole different mindset mindset. it's a different mindset it's and as you've touched you've hit that so well in terms of I suppose where Tesla positions themselves and mm. the narrative that they talk, and then the old narrative that has existed, which is yeah. very much a steam train. Yeah, throw use manpower, women power to throw coal in a fire, burn it, dig yeah. more coal up. And, and this it. is you know, it shits me when you listen to some kind of people in the market talk about Tesla, and they're just like, oh, well, it's good. you know, how can it have a valuation that's bigger than all car companies combined? Well, the first starting point is it's not a bloody car company yeah. it's not a car company a car is a really interesting representation of how you have a mobile energy source that can move you around yeah right but i think the thing that they've actually that they're really worth is that they have actually figured out the storage um and charging technology better than anyone else yeah right and then they've also got a really great consumer interface that lays over the top of it so like i look at tesla more like i look at something like apple which is that apple like as a narrative is kind of it's the same if you really kind of lay Mm. them side by side they're not dissimilar steve jobs elon musk both kind of broadly kind of um arc archetypal kind of hero kind of you know kind of broken men you know but we tolerate their behavior because they're kind of geniuses in what they've actually created but when you look at the company side by side they're both building closed loop systems yeah. which is that kind of you know apple's done that they want to build a new rail system yeah exactly yeah, yeah exactly and that's what i think the narrative and google and is similar, missing amazon similar yep yeah yeah but Fun. it's old to new it's yeah. not it's just a it's a digital yeah transformation and markets but I then think, still someone's gonna own the rails like, that's the funny thing yeah of course yeah. of yeah. course yeah. Uh, it'll be tesla yeah um ultimately in terms of kind of that we'll we'll get there i reckon yeah, in terms of where where, where, this, where this is where this is all heading yeah but the narrative then that kind of goes with that is that i think that's what i find really really fascinating in, in markets is that I don't think the valuation on something like Tesla is quite off, but a lot of people then kind of talk to that as like, oh, we're, we're like Tesla, but in, in this way, or we're like this, yeah, but the whole thing the gets frothy. Yeah. The whole thing kind of around markets, I think, you know, in terms of the narratives that are actually told is that we sell sell hope ultimately when you're kind of actually looking in the market you we project things onto them yeah right. i think that's where you're hitting this point and you spoke about it before what scott says about story stocks and mm-hmm. i was trying to, and which falls into technology or selling the new which made me think of back on how narrative progresses and where it drops off and where it changes because it allows different stories to exist and where that new tech narrative has come from and it's i've attached it the dot com like a lot of these things that have yeah. fallen on their bottoms and then something else has grown up behind that even the internet itself yeah like they have this weird drop and then they pick up a new story and it takes it up and then it drops again um it's quite an interesting space and then it plays into this frothy market where people like it's this opportunistic shark feeding frenzy where there's a ton of feels like synthetic money to be made like yeah. everyone sort of knows it's this rain cloud that's going to disappear soon and mm. it's going to be like 
either flooded or it's going to be dry and it's just going to dissipate but even completely. that is projection like that's that's the, sure. thing, that's the thing i love about it is yeah. that because that, you like as a human being i think you sense that things are kind of not not quite right yeah and you can't ultimately make make sense of it but in, yeah. the, in the bigger context what what has occurred is that you know the money is an invented construct yeah. it's an it's a human invention and so is debt and, and so is the ability to create and value subjective and story so great to be able to yeah. pull together collective subjectivity and agree on something <laughs> yeah but then that's the narrative right i mean <laughs> exactly. in a political sense like covid kind of is a is a narrative in terms of that well we had to put all of this money into into the economy to keep it keep it going it's that's stated as if it's fact and yes some of the data does support that but most of what supports it is actually just the narrative of that we actually had to do something to kind of keep you know our markets alive our ability to kind of generate this going so therefore we took on debt and Mm. the way the government has done that particularly through this crisis is to print money yeah and tons of it yeah this is synthetic so here we're sitting there's this question i want to think about was last time we hit on this or through this conversation of narrative is that sometimes a narrative will get dropped and it'll become cultural or it'll become part of the the society that it was born of and it becomes part of it i'm trying to think of narratives that exist around there and that have died off and become like i feel like the housing market in australia Owning your own home yep. was a dream sure. sold to get people from Europe yep. specifically to get here to Australia to pick up that ownership. 100%. But now that dream is <laughs> hard to attain for some mm. and it's been sold so far and twisted so much. It's it's no longer a dream for a family. It's more a dream for an asset. It's an asset class that's holding yep. up. It's changed, but the narrative died within that society and become cultural norm. But mm. now we've got this friction point between what's actually going in the market narrative and then what that market narrative actually dropped off before and become cultural. It's yeah. this weird double-headed double headed dragon almost having a um, a fire off amongst each other. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like the, the great Australian dream. I mean, it kind of, you know... it. I think it died in the fifties really, you know, the kind of the quarter, the quarter acre block kind of, you know, suburban lifestyle, but yet that's, that's still part of the kind of the cultural myth of what it actually is to, is to own a, own a home. Right. But you're, you're not wrong is that, you know, house ownership is becoming more and more consolidated as it is in every market um, around, around the world through, and it's become an asset class, but that's not, that's not part of the narrative because it doesn't, it doesn't help. Doesn't sit very well. It doesn't, doesn't sit very well to kind of, talk about it in in that way so you know but the from a political point of view but in a market point of view even in a market point of view it doesn't it doesn't help you're getting all these startups that are talking about like you can buy a share yep in a a complex where you can buy a share in a uh, in a company that buys lots of houses sure but that's uh, that's been around forever yeah yeah in terms of getting noisier or maybe i'm just growing no it's (laughs) maybe both (laughs) who knows but it's but the narrative i think behind those is that that's what's changed right the narrative of like a kind of like a basically like a writ a real estate investment trust used to be very much about kind of like it was a sophisticated financial asset um in terms of kind of generating generating return right it was sold as that now it's basically if you want to own part of a house here's a way to to do it um you can't own a whole house and i think that's so much of that 
this what happens in markets is that the actual the underpinning of what these things are worth is that houses are really they've inflated because of cheap money and they are if you look at them as a certainty hedge across a whole kind of financial market they're a really really good investment to make because we're not making any more land and people right? need to live somewhere yeah like most cities are constrained um either by geographic borders or by planning law um so therefore the actual land that a house sits on and you know it's uh you know never give people financial advice but you know you always <laughs> want to own land it's not what this physical structure is that sits on it but the land you own they can't actually come and take but what's now happening is that kind of that land as a value has appreciated to a point right and now it's become almost even though the money is so cheap it's kind of you know it's like it hasn't really changed that much in terms of kind of net net people's houses are worth way more but also then their repayments against those are there it's the issue that's become cultural is around this idea of deposit right so that kind of you know and i, I find that fascinating you know this uh like the bernard salt thing around kind of you know the avocado kind of smashed avocado generation you know around the fact that you know this belief set that we have that every young person is just you know pissing their money up against the wall um rather than actually saving their house the, the issue is they can't save quick enough, right? And that's not what's spoken about. So yeah, there's no well, it's reform. It's easy around. to put it on the smash ever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that's culturally, it's becoming for people entering the market now, it's becoming less and less affordable to do so because you can't save the deposit. The deposit's always been fixed at a certain ratio your ability to actually generate that deposit at a level when the value of the thing is blowing up above you. But then the narrative around all of that is, you know, it's kind of broken into the bank of mom and dad, you know, kind of helping to get to the deposit. It's kind of like you're wasting your money or you're going to have to move back in with mom and dad to save your deposit. But we haven't actually kind of looked at the notion of that. Why do you want to own a home? Right. The the narrative that goes goes around all of that. And I think that's interesting. That's starting to get challenged a bit. People are looking at different ways to kind of get through, you know, the idea of kind of what housing is. Mm, which is an interesting one but yeah i still got that image of a double-headed dragon that yep. still can't <laughs> have a proper conversation with itself it's so confused yeah. doesn't know where its tail is yeah but it, yeah its tail is connected to themselves mm. they're two of the same thing but they are they yeah are. that's an interesting juxtaposition or like this point where it's like something created something and it's very different it's the same narrative but all of a sudden you've got two ends well, I think the narrative doesn't, and we just spoke about this last time, is that what, what you have to be careful about is it doesn't become a polarizing yeah. narrative, right? If you're actually kind of, if you look at Hatton, you're just staying with housing or energy is that they tend to points of change to get quite polarized, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, we see this in energy as well between kind of, you know, like it's like fossil fuels versus kind of new, new energy into the future, whereas really it's probably going to be a mixture of it all underpinned by a digital thing, but no one is closing that gap. And no one's talking about it that much. No. Well, where's one? This is the sort of last one I really want to talk right. about is what is my, what's the narrative that has been, I suppose it's the back end of this. What's one that's been completely forgotten? Marketer's narrative that's been forgotten. I suppose that dot com that's definitely been forgotten but we've sort of Pets. said that, that narrative yep. is continuing with sort of new tech and it sort of is that new thing the new greatest thing mm. mark zuckerberg trying to jump on that <laughs> yeah. let's not go there no but um well i mean i i think what you know i guess when i kind of think about think about markets i think what's what's starting to happen is kind of people don't realize that there's a downside so this kind of um for whatever reason it's 
you know, it's certainly even, I mean, I'm not that old, but I mean, I started investing when I was quite young. And what I, what I found interesting about it was that always, always with these things, there's, there's kind of, there's this cycle that actually goes through, through stuff. And it's kind of, you know, you just basically always just told to buy something, forget you, forget you have it and worry about it when you're 65 or whenever you're going to um, pull up stumps. So I think that's the part that's starting to get missed is that we're coming very active in kind of actually looking at these things. And like, I look at, I don't understand it, but like people who kind of get really into Bitcoin and crypto and these things, but it's, it's almost like it's a live thing that you're constantly kind of playing with, trying to kind of, you know, find, find new ways to do it, but also value gets destroyed all the time. That's the, that's just the way that we move, we move forward. And I think, you know, we've kind of, that's getting left a little bit, right? Even through COVID, you just have to, you know, you have to drive around as, as shopping street. It's like, it's interesting, like even going back to work, you know, you, now where we're in the city, we used to have, we used to have every major bank within 500 meters of us because we're in, you know, we're in the center, kind of Fitzroy Collingwood. Now we only have two, two yeah. left. So, you know, kind the bank of, just brought on crypto. Well, no, they just said bye-bye, no, the, the, the branch. But also yeah, the branch, the branch, the branch is kind of, changed. you know, it's gone. Yeah. It's not just that it's changed. It's through it's digital now, the banks. Finished, yeah. right? And they've also then taken away the cash machine, right? So it's kind of, it's a really kind of interesting, you know, part. But that's kind of, you know, if you're the kind of... Um, the person who owns that building, who's kind of traditionally leased that to a bank that would have been there for 20 plus years, that's value destroying. And this is the part that we kind of don't focus on. So like the bank's going more digital, but what does that actually mean in the real world? And that's what I think we sometimes forget in these in these narratives is kind of looking for who's and getting left behind. But that's also where you find opportunity. Yeah, well, for me, that frothy space is very much like speaking to the change that is happening. There's yeah. value being lost, there's value being created out of thin air. Like, mm. it's very much where we're at. And <laughs> and everyone's playing a part in that drop and fall and move and side and back. But, mm. yeah, in terms of one that's been forgotten, I can't really think of it. I feel like markets as narratives sort of continue on and re and yeah. re born themselves or respawn in different ways yeah. and have different stories throw off from that there's something intrinsic about humans in the way that they create or perceive value there's something yeah. there but i think it's always like it's been forever thus I, I think that the way that you know i kind of you know even if you went back through history so we look at kind of people like mark zuckerberg through the lens of our own time mm. but if you look at him through the lens of kind of like you know like the, the kind of like Car carnegie family and kind of you know standard oil you would go you know james carnegie was a prick mark zuckerberg's <laughs> a prick but they both have created incredible kind of wealth wealth yeah. around same around that east them. indian company that was yeah. the colonial superpower yeah same it's just it's, but those narratives are kind of the companies that come come across are always at some yeah, level they fall in that weird that yeah. cyclic thing that we're saying happens in yeah. place yeah yeah but it's always old versus new maybe that's the that's the longest the thing and value gets destroyed value gets created, created. Mm. here we are all right. Good All right. stuff. Well, it's great to be back, Pat. Yeah. So, and great to see you. Likewise, Joey. Look forward to the next one. All right. Done deal. See ya. Thank you for listening to BAU Business as Unusual. Subscribe and learn more at baupod.co. That's baupod.co.